Hi, this is Gino Vanelli, and you're listening to Beach Booster Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Beach Corner, backstage pass for all your local entertainment. I'm Donna Chickie. I have a very special guest for you today via Skype, multi-Juno award-winning and Grammy-nominated artist, Gino Benelli. Born in Montreal, Gino grew up in a family headed by his cabaret-singing father and a keen-eared mother. Gino was inducted on the Italian Walk of Fame on May 28th in Toronto and recently performed at Jazz on the Mountain at Blue on Friday, July 4th. On May 13th, he released Live in L.A. Worldwide via SRG Sono Recording Group, a CD-DVD featuring his performance at the Saban Theatre in Los Angeles in more than a decade. I had the pleasure of attending his concert at Blue. It was a chilly night, but Gino kept his audience warm with his repertoire of songs. Seeing his undeniable talents on stage, without a doubt, he is still one of the most gifted vocalists in the world. After the show, Gino took time to sign autographs and met with his fans. Don't go away. We'll be back after this short break with Gino Benelli. You're listening to Beach Corner on BeachBoosterRadio.com. Hello, I'm Margaret Atwood, and you're listening to BeachBoosterRadio.com. We're listening to Beach Corner on BeachBoosterRadio.com. Joining me today via Skype is a very special guest, Grammy nominee and Juno Award winner, Gino Vanelli, who performed at Jazz on the Mountain at Blue on Friday, July 4th. Welcome to Beach Corner and a very happy belated birthday on June 16th. Thank you, Diana. We have something in common. We're both from Montreal and we both speak French. So how did it feel being back in Canada as this was your only Canadian date on your concert tour? Well, we had done uh, five or six uh, concerts in Ontario and uh, three, I believe, in in Quebec uh, just six months ago. Maybe a little longer than that, but a, a short while ago. So, uh, you know, I, I, I had uh, seen family and friends, you know, pretty, pretty recently. But playing the concert up at the mountain was a little bit of a different experience because uh, of how cool it was at night. Everybody's fingers were pretty still frozen, you know, even to the last song. And uh, I didn't mind it, you know, until I had to um, play my timbali solo. And then, you know, the, the sticks felt very slippery. <laughs> it was a good evening. You're an accomplished musician, having won many accolades, including a Grammy nomination. You performed for Pope John Paul in 2000. I've seen your concert at Blue, which was amazing. We just talked about it. So how do you manage keeping fit after all these years? Well, I mean, first comes the love of it. If you don't have the love of it, you know, you can't stand the stink of the gym. That's really basically what, you know, what a boxer once told me. And uh, if you love your sport, if you, if you love what you do, uh, that's a big advantage. I mean, there are going to be times where you struggle a little bit. But I remember a vocal coach uh, once told me, so, you know, the difference between a professional and amateur. I said, no, what is it besides the obvious? He said, the, the, the professional practice is when he doesn't feel like it. And, and so, you know, there are days that, you know, you don't really feel like doing it, you know, keeping yourself in shape, either doing, you know, yoga or calisthenics or running a couple miles or doing your vocal exercises. But you just do it. And then you find, you know, three days, you know, later, you know, you're totally into it and you're glad you did it. So that's, I would say, first of all, it's the love of it. And then the second thing is discipline. And and what keeps you motivated? What keeps you going every day? Simply the the, the obvious, the sound of it. 
that that's all it is. And when I when I hear great music, when I hear something that really moves me, when I hear a good or great vocal performance, I know how difficult that is, and I know how uh, difficult in the sense that you know it's rare, uh, and, and it's very moving to me. I get this thing called aesthetic arrest. When, when, when something like that comes my way. Same thing with any kind of art form. I mean, I was listening, uh, watching a special on Joffrey Ballet on, on, on PBS the other day. And there are some moments where you go, wow, that, that's almost humanly, you know, not possible. That's good. So let's talk about your new album, Live in L.A., which was released May 13th. This is your first CD concert in more than a decade. So what prompts you to release Live in L.A.? Well, I think it's really to uh, to show the audience you know, where we're at right now. I mean, uh, the, the last real live CD was live in Montreal. I think that was in the early 90s. Um, and it's always nice to, to let people know, you know what you're up to. And then also, you know, in the last five years, we really built up quite a repertoire with this band, with this Portland band. And, you know, one of the first rules of existence is if you have something, you want to share it. And how different is this album in comparison to your previous CDs you've released? Well, first of all, it's it's a DVD. Oh, and, DVD, okay. Uh, uh, and uh, I think the SRG Records went through considerable expense on this. I think they spent over a quarter million dollars on it. So it's a major, major you know project. We did it at the um, Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. It was a good night. Um, I, I think it looks pretty good, and um, the band played very, very well. And I think all our performances, you know, quite good. So it's it's just nice to, to capture something, you know, of yourself when when you know it's it's, it's kind of dying. It's kind of hard to capture because sometimes you you want to capture a certain night and everything goes wrong that night, you know. So um, we just hope and pray that everything would you know turn out and it, it kind of did so i understand you tell humorous stories in this dvd and one of them is about singing the canadian anthem so you know we just celebrated canada day here this past month so did you get an opportunity to sing the song once again well uh, you know I, I had to do the three anthems uh because i was singing uh at the um the molson center uh, or uh, do they still call it that? I think they call it something else. Um, but anyways, the Canadians, Montreal Canadians were playing uh, Dallas. Um, and uh, I sang the Canadian anthem in French and in English and the American anthem. So I had to really had to practice three. And the one that was the most difficult that I really wanted to execute muscle memory on was, of course, the French-Canadian uh, version of the anthem. I didn't want to make an error. And um, so I was practicing it. Uh, by the way, I was just told that I was going to do it maybe two or three weeks before. So I was practicing it everywhere and anywhere you know I could. And I happened to be in Ontario at the time uh, doing a short Canadian tour. And so uh, I really made you know quite a spectacle of myself. You know, while jogging, while in restaurants, just singing you know the, the anthems you know to myself and a little bit louder than I should have perhaps until one day I mean just before going to Montreal I was at the uh, Toronto airport and um, I went to the bathroom and I, I noticed there's nobody in the bathroom so as I closed myself into one of the stalls you know I just sang you know, O Canon and French all out uh, English and French version and uh, I thought I was alone and when I got out of the stall someone got out two stalls down and um, <laughs> <laughs> you were given a performance there <laughs> well I think 
he said something to the effect like, you know, I heard Canada, oh Canada many times, but that was something, yeah. Oh my gosh, how cool is that? So having traveled around the world, do you feel you need to adjust your concert according to where you're performing? You know, the, one of the benefits of um, of kind of sticking to what you do and, and, and having a vision, you know, for your own art form is that you don't really necessarily have to do that. The only um, change or, you know, adapt, the adapting I have to do is really to the weather or to the time change or if the stage is a little smaller or shorter or lacks depth or um, if it's cold or if it's really hot, you know, what you wear. I mean, and then what you say is, is you know, we're, we're going to Latvia, you know, in two weeks from now to perform uh, at a major festival there. So I'm hoping that they can speak English, but I don't think I'll get into the intricate English stories as much. Mm-hmm. So I mean, things like that. But overall, the band plays the way the band plays, and I sing the way I sing. So you have over 250 songs, talking about the songs you sing, and how do you choose which songs you will be singing when you're touring? Well, the, there are the obvious ones, you know, that, I, that, that you can't get away without doing. Um, but other than that, you know, we keep uh, kind of, you know, a revolving door going around, you know, with, with, with the songs. So we keep changing, we keep updating, we keep um, going back a little further. And some of the newer songs like Don't Give Up On Me and go way back, you know, to 1974, you know, 75 with Getting High or People Gotta Move. And, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of songs to choose from, um, and so we make sure every maybe uh, every ten shows we add one new one. And it's nice but, how uh, you do your show too, because when you're doing that blue, you're going like 1974, 1980, yeah. and you just go through those decades, and you're just singing all these hits. Like it's really cool. So, in your repertoire of songs, do you have a favorite that you like to sing? Well, I think that changes, you know, with, with how many times you, you do sing it. And sometimes you get tired of a song, and then two years later, you're up on it again. Perhaps it's just a slight, you know, a variation of the arrangement that gets you all excited again, or you just find yourself in a better voice, and, you know, life is just treating you a little bit better. Maybe things are going better at home, or whatever it is. And suddenly you're in love with, you know, these, these songs again. So, I mean, I, that's where the discipline and determination and also patience, you know, uh, really come into play because it's really hard. Or I should say it's really easy to, to get tired of singing a song that you've been singing for 40 years. So, you, you know, in our case, we've updated a lot of the songs, a lot of the arrangements, as you, as you can tell at the concert uh, at, the, at, the, at the mountain. And that in itself, you know, gives us a little bit of impetus to, um, to really deliver. So when you're in Canada, do you find your fans have a favorite song they want to hear? No, I don't think so. I, I, I think they just, um, I, I, if I can get a glimpse at the, you know, the front row or second or third row, um, which is rare because the spots are still you know, pretty blinding, but I, once in a while I do get a glimpse and they, they kind of have this face like, well, you know, hit me, you know, with however and whatever you can, you know. Oh my goodness. And well, speaking of songs, my favorite song is Black Cars. So tell us a story of how you wrote this song. Well, I was advised by a friend to, um, you know, for a long while I, I, I wrote songs just from personal experience. And throughout the 70s, I did that. And, and it worked for a long time because I, I had a, a well, you know, always, you know, 
inside of me that needed, you know, I need, I needed uh, a bucket to dip into that well and just lay it out there. And then finally, I find myself by the time I was a little bit older, maybe 31, 32, when I did Black Cars, I was kind of out of ideas. And um, so this fellow, this fellow writer, told me, "Well, why don't you just go places and, and and just notice people and notice what they do?" And so I decided to take his advice, and so I went to Hollywood Boulevard and I started noticing this one lady that was uh, that yarrow-faced woman that, that she looked like she had cake white cake makeup on and very dark mirrored glasses um, and um, I'm not sure if it was a wig or not but it, it looked awfully strange and she wasn't in, in a black fake fur coat and it was really warm and uh, she just kept pacing up and down Hollywood Boulevard you know walking on the stars like a ghost as if she had her ship had long gone past and uh, she was still waiting for it. And so she's obviously, you know, an actress in her day. And so I said, well, there is a very tragic but very interesting character. So I thought about her a long time, this Gloria Swanson-esque kind of woman and um, in Sunset Boulevard. And I got home and I decided to watch my black Z28 and I just noticed that the side that was facing the sun, I just couldn't get the scratches out, kind of like that lady. And that's how Black Cars was written. So let's take a short break. And Gino, if you could please introduce one of your songs, maybe Black Cars? And here is Black Cars. Look. 
Welcome back to Beach Corner on BeachBoosterRadio.com with my special guest, Gino Benelli, via Skype. Gino, speaking of songs, um, you talked a little bit about black cars and the inspiration of writing that. Where do you find your inspiration in general when you're writing songs? Well, it's something you have to search for. You know, um, you can't just wait. It, it doesn't always just come to you. You have to be proactive about it. So you, you keep, you know, you keep your radar working, you keep your radar up. And um, my radar is con- constantly working, and I might be in a plane, I might be in a restaurant, I might be anywhere watching TV or a movie or playing with my dogs, and I get an idea, and I make sure to jot it down or get to my computer and just uh, make a note of it. And I have, you know, literally hundreds of ideas. And sometimes I'll just go to my computer and just look at my ideas and notes and say, this one, this one, I, I think this melody I've been working on seems to vibe with this this title and this this theme and that that's how it works you know for me you know it, it's a constant thing you, you it just maybe when you're 20 and you're new at it you know you just want to you're kind of blathering at the mouth but later on when you get a little bit more particular and you just don't want to go up an alley that's going to be a dead end street because sometimes I've done that. I've worked really hard on songs and saying, well, I'll find this right hook or I'll find this right lyric in the chorus. And I never do. And it was all that work for not. And I just have to dump it because it's just not to be found, at least for that while. So who had the most influence in your musical career? Well, you know, really a plethora of people, you know, uh, starting off with my father because my, my dad was a big band singer. And... Um, he was very instrumental in, in uh, introducing us to great music of the day, which is still great, you know, after all these years. But, I mean, big band, jazz, uh, composers, uh, opera, classical, uh, Latin music. My, my dad was into all that. And so, you know, while we were enjoying the British music invasion and the Beach Boys were still listening to Coltrane and I was listening to, you know, Puccini operas. So some of your fans refer to you as their Elvis Presley of their generation. How do you feel about that? They say, come again? They say they refer to you as their Elvis Presley of their generation. How do you feel about that? If if they say it endearingly, you know, it's one thing. And they they could say it sarcastically. It's another thing. Uh, But I I I, I don't see... Maybe there's a couple of similarities in the sense that the spotlights hit us. But um, my, uh, my pursuits are very, very different. So for someone who's starting out in the music industry, what advice can you provide for, from your experience? Well, first of all, I mean, have a philosophy. If you don't have a philosophy, if you don't have a point of view, acquire one. Because no one wants to listen to anybody without a point of view. Now. A lot of people may agree or disagree with your point of view, but nothing worse than a man without a point of view. And so songs, to me, must have a point of view. Uh, everyone, I mean, interesting songs, now, unless you want to talk about, you know, songs that are really mainstream pop radio songs, you know, of any age, of any day. I'm talking about interesting artists, and artists you want to listen to um, again and again. And those artists always seem to have a certain inner philosophy or an inner it's not if it's not an angst it's a uh, it's a, a constant searchlight within themselves and those to me are the ones that I'm compelled you know to to go to and, and to listen to so I would say develop that 
and stick to it and broaden it and deepen it and, and find something to believe in because it'll carry you through and your music will be a lot more interesting and in the lean years and in the dark moments that philosophy will be your light and how do you prepare for a concert and how do you unwind well preparing for a concert is a lot easier than unwinding because you know getting wound up uh, for a concert is, is really I mean after a concert is, is really difficult to deal with uh, it takes me hours you know to come down after a concert which is normal and natural I mean while most people's cortisol levels are going way down mine is going way up because <laughs> I'm in my last encore at 11 o'clock so uh, <clears throat> I usually have to you know stay up till, till about 2 or 3 before I could you know it's a process too I gotta do some yoga poses you know either read something not too interesting <laughs> or, or you know do some meditation or watch the news or something you know uh, in any case uh, but preparing for a concert is I mean you vocalize you keep vocalizing especially I have a, a once every other day hard vocalization and um, running uh, and um, either doing yoga or pilates or something like that that really keeps you limber and stretched and strong and you find that when you get on stage, you're, you're really ready for it. And it's, it's as much psychological as it, as it is physical. So are you happy with the success you've garnered with your musical career? I, I must say that um, the word happy is, is very... To me, it's, um, it's a catch-all phrase. And uh, an artist that's happy is no longer an artist. I mean, you, you, you must be unhappy about something to keep you going. Um, you know, you're looking for your perfect work, your perfect masterpiece, your, your something that you say, well, that time I did it. And then the worry is, is once you did it, can I do it again? <laughs> but uh, so in that sense, you have to modify happiness. But overall, um, my life, how I'm leading it, and um, my life with my wife, with my, with my household, uh, my son and the people I meet, my friends, uh, performing, uh, my brother being involved with my management. I mean, in that sense, I've never been happier. And you have a new family member talking about family, Bodhi, your dog. So how is this family enjoying the latest edition? Well, I, I also acquired in the last three weeks Bodhi's brother, who became available. His, brother, his brother's name is Link. There are two uh, eight-month-old Australian shepherds that have more energy you know, than the sun. And um, I love it. You know, I, it, they keep me going. And I love playing with them, training them. And we were out all day, you know, with, with them yesterday, going to the Petco and you name it. So I, I, it's a fantastic hobby. You know, I, I love the dogs. I've always loved dogs. And it's been a long time since I had a dog. I used to show uh, Irish wolfhounds in the 80s during the black cars period. Wow. So what do you enjoy most when you're not touring? Well, you know, that period of time, from 1979 to 1992, I didn't tour. And so it was uh, 12, 13 years that I didn't tour. And I, at that point, I went back to college and I studied philosophy and then moved on to theology and had uh, various private mentors, too, and, and really got into the academia of theology, which was really great, uh, you know, to do and to have. And then as I tired... I wouldn't say tired, but as I grow a little bit bored with the academia of it, I realized that academia of theology was kind of like watching someone eat ice cream. <laughs> oh my goodness. So my very last you know, question. It, 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 it's, 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 
<laughs> My very last question here, we're, we're cutting out. Barbara Walter, who recently retired this year, used to ask this question to her guests, and I just want to finish on this. So if you were a tree, which tree would you be? Well, I'd say let's, let's call it an evergreen. Very nice. Well, thank you, Gino. It's been an honor to have you as my guest, and I wish you continued success. Thank you, Diana. Before we go, can you please introduce one more song? Okay. And here's another one of my favorites to perform live. It's called Nightwalker. You're listening to Beach Corner on BeachBoosterRadio.com. We'll be back after this song. Let's go back to 1980. One of my favorite songs to perform. Yeah. 
for me, I would like to thank Gino Benelli for taking time out of his busy schedule to do this interview and wish him all the best of success with his upcoming Lafayette performance in Europe on July 31st. I would also like to thank Jane Harbury Publicity and Ross Benelli for making this interview possible. For more information on Gino Benelli, please visit GinoV.com. You're listening to Beach Corner on Beach Booster Radio. I'm Donna Chickie. Beach Corner is broadcast weekly on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5 and 7 p.m. and is a regular feature in Beach Booster Publication. If you would like to be featured on Beach Corner, please contact Diana at BeachBooster.com. I welcome your visit to my Facebook and Twitter pages. Bye-bye, everyone.